Hello and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Friday, January 25th, 2013. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And this week, enhancing site performance with Varnish, simplifying your web development workflow with sprockets, and responsive web design gets real. Please stay tuned. The Niche Podcast is next. Good afternoon. Hello. Yes, it is afternoon, isn't it? Yeah, not too bad. Late, too. late as usual. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, we've got. I feel the, like uh, I'm. Feel like I'm just now starting to wake up. <laughs> yeah, you were sleep coding last night. Yeah, that was really weird. <laughs> I can't. I can't say I've ever done that before. I had, I had taken. I had taken a sleeping pill because I've been sleeping horribly lately, mm-hmm. and it didn't work. And so I, I was still awake, and I ended up staying up and doing some work, and it finally kicked in. <laughs> a few hours later and I just got incredibly tired and so I mean it was it was really late so I just crashed on the futon in the office mm-hmm. and I woke up this morning to discover at some point between going to bed and and um getting up <laughs> getting up at 11 a.m. to do the podcast <laughs> I had um I had written some really bad CSS code <laughs> <laughs> well that's uh now, if that was for a client, would you bill them if you were sleeping no, while you did yeah, it? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I mean, it worked. It worked too. It was it was just really bad. I mean, there were there were much more efficient ways of doing it, but it did work. Well, you've done a lot of coding without seeing, so I mean, it's just yeah. one small step to actually right, sleeping. Right. right. You know, one small step to unconsciousness. <laughs> well, that's cool. A new level of efficiency. <laughs> or inefficiency. Well, yeah. yeah. So I had a funny, funny thing this morning. It was uh, podcasting a little later than we planned, even though we were both up before the crack of noon for once. <laughs> to uh, um, because uh, it's just so loud in my office with the ceiling taken down. Oh yeah, yeah. It was like it was it was a really awful, awful old acoustical tile ceiling, but with it down between monster vac and Cooper running back and forth between the garbage can and the landfill. It's like, it's, you know, it's really loud, really loud. Yeah. And so I've gotten used to it, but Erica came downstairs to print something out and, uh, I turn on, she's just like staring at me. I'm like, what? She goes, I'm really sorry. I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's like, it is so loud down here. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me, you know? And I'm, I'm like, I'm totally used to it. And then, but, it was like dogs and vacuum cleaner and it's, it's wicked loud. Yeah. So anyway, it's, it's funny. She's like, you should really go upstairs or something. We should switch. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Are you going to, going to do a little more soundproofing when you do the new ceiling? Oh yeah. I'm going to do it up. I mean, it, yeah. I don't, I don't know what we're going to do, but exactly. yet. we're still in the planning phase, but uh man town is going to get, it's going to get, get, get done. Right. Nice. Yeah. I'm like already picking out shag rugs. <laughs> <laughs> wall to wall. Wall to wall. Yeah. I've been only half kidding with my suggestion to uh, cover the walls and ceiling with green pool table felt. <laughs> which, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So the sound will be perfect. I'll get you some dogs playing poker for the wall. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So, a little bit of housekeeping. Um, apologies to the dear listener. 
uh, I just totally spaced last week and didn't post the podcast on Friday morning. Shame on you. It was so weird. I was like, do, 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 do. Oh my God. I forgot <laughs> to post the podcast. That's little, never happened before. No, I just totally spaced. It was weird. So anyway, I think I put it up uh, late Friday night instead, but I know, I know I'm a big podcast listener and when there's a show that I like to listen to every week and it's not available, it is awful. Yeah. So apologies. You, you just, you single-handedly crushed the hopes and dreams of approximately 11 people. <laughs> Who probably don't listen to it immediately anyway. So. <laughs> yeah. so I can't do, but just on the off chance. I'll try and do better in the future. Um, cool. So this week, um, we've got some pretty exciting stuff, projects, and I literally had a project finish and a new project start on the exact same day yesterday. Or, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Except, well, I think I had two new ones start yesterday. Wow. Yeah, so... Um, those will be fun to talk about in the future as they as they come along. And I think even some of the conversations we're going to have today have to do with setting up the servers for one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the I think the big news is, I'm trying to think timeline-wise. Last week when we recorded, it was Wednesday as usual, and your big bootstrap responsive site wasn't posted yet. It wasn't live yet, but by the time the podcast went live, it was up. Yeah, so you did link to it in the show notes. Yes, so that was, in case you missed the show notes, if you don't actually go to the Niche website, um, the... We should we should maybe mention the website. We haven't in a while. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, who knows where people get their feeds from, from iTunes yeah. or Player FM or whatever, Stitcher. Um yeah, niche.cc, N-I-T-C-H dot C-C is the home of the audio files. And it's, you know, you can just go to slash podcast for the podcast uh, homepage. And we should actually, should update the the main homepage. Some of the yeah. information is, it's, we've become much more about the podcast lately, so. Yeah. Should update that, maybe even have a redirect to make that the about page. But anyway, if... Uh, if people want to go there and check it out, there's a whole bunch of... This is episode 41, so there's a bunch of good back stuff you can check through while you're waiting for me to post the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. So, image.com. Yes. That was the domain name that we were talking about last week. As the, yes. Totally awesome domain name. Yeah. It's it's almost too generic. <laughs> It's like I have a trouble talking about, you know, you know, working for image. It's and they're like, like, what? <laughs> yeah. Who's that? Yeah. So, folks, you can check out image.com and see uh, Kelly's implementation of the design. Super cool. Um, Thank you very much. Yeah, it came out really good. And it's, I mean, not only is it good, but it is such a huge upgrade from the previous site, which people probably, you know, wouldn't have seen or been familiar with, but... It's very 90s kind of centered square fixed width type of thing. 760. 760. That's how old it was. Yeah. So so it's really nice. Tons of carousels. Um, lots of good looking stuff in there. Um, and right almost on the exact same day, our friends at Infinum... Uh, who we work with on a bunch of different things, they released a new version of their website at infinim.com. 
co and it is all, it oh you haven't seen it it's it's really really nice also it's very professional it's not super flashy but they did a really nice job on it and it was funny because both websites basically came out within you know 48 hours of each other they went live and uh i i must have spent i'm gonna say two hours just kind of navigating around each site on just the devices on my desk mm-hmm. to see if there was anything wonky or uh, anything like that. And both sites just shined um, on everything I tried, which is, you know, I'm talking everything from like an old iPod Touch, iPhone 4, a BlackBerry Bold 9700, which is not You're even, kidding. Oh, no. It's... It, um, yeah. I'm, I'm amazed. Yeah, there's some. Uh, there's a little wonkiness with the uh, background size doesn't work right on the old Blackberry. So there's a little bit of wackiness on the Blackberry. Uh, I think on Image.com. Yeah, on the on the main carousel. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Blackberry Playbook and Kindle Fire and a couple of different desktop browsers on different machines, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and everything worked great. Um, I was, it's, it's really impressive to me that, uh, that, I mean, I know we say this all the time, but I am sure that like you or the guys at Infinum, they, you guys didn't test the websites on the, you know, I I have a touchscreen, um, like a seven inch touchscreen Android 1.5 tablet that is used to run my printer it's like the control panel for my printer i'm pretty sure you guys didn't test on that no (laughs) but they work you know it's like it's a bizarre screen size with an operating system that no one would think was still in the wild and it it, it's totally usable i mean it's if you approach a design sort of from the the starting you to start with the small you know start small and build your way up from there then it, with a flexible grid and and just general, relatively simple responsive web design techniques. I mean, I know that you you struggle with bugs and stuff, and getting things pixel perfect. But uh, in terms of just accessibility, maybe not gorgeousness and pixel perfection, but in terms of accessibility, both sites are, are just it, it it the approach of starting small and working your way up with the design is just. Um, it just serves you really well. It ends up being a lot less work in the long run. Oh yeah, yeah, hands down, it's it's definitely the way to go. And people people think it's going to be more work getting into it, mm-hmm. and it you know it may feel like a little bit more setup, but in the end, you do you end up saving yourself a lot of time, and the code that you end up writing ends up being a lot cleaner. Absolutely, yeah. You just get so much for free. You know, you're just like, I mean, every time I picked up a, a device, I was like, yeah, it totally works. There's like <laughs> nothing to fix here or like a sup- something super minor, like a background yeah. image size or something. Um, a similar it, in related news, I also got a, um, a new Windows phone because my Windows phone is dead. And there are some really interesting issues with with the browser there that I haven't figured out yet, but we can talk about it offline and maybe uh, do it on the podcast next week. But there's something going on with the, the WebKit, i sorry, the WebKit browser on Windows Phone, the uh, Internet Explorer on Windows Phone, because it's it, it thinks it's 
desktop. Like there must be something wrong with the media queries on Windows Phone mm. because it it thinks it's a desktop. I don't know. I don't. It seems like uh, I haven't qu- haven't quite figured it out yet. Yeah, that that kind of sucks, but also kind of doesn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah. I think it's. I can't tell if it's actually the browser or if it's something that's set on the phone because I don't know if you've noticed on Android phones, they'll do this thing where they'll it'll instead of like zooming like by default it'll wrap the paragraph text mm-hmm. which i find is very useful but it's got to be really confounding to designers who care about stuff like controlling stuff like that uh, and i don't know if it's something like that where it's just trying to make the text easier to read or what's going on there but i'll, f- I'll figure it out and let you know i'd um, be interested in seeing some screenshots yeah I, as soon as i figure out how to do that <laughs> um but man, yeah i got the lumia 920 which is a tank of a phone it is humongous. Is it really? Yeah, it's. I think it's. It's weird because I'm drawn to it. Like when when I have like five different phones on the table to choose from, I tend to reach for that one first if I am going to be uh, browsing the web. Mm-hmm. Because it's. Um, I mean, the screen is just absolutely gorgeous, and it's five inch diagonal. I think so. It's good size. Oh really, yeah. It's really, but the the problem with it in terms of using it as my actual phone. Um, is that it's just too big to use one-handed. You, I can't reach, I mean, I can only reach about three quarters of the way up the screen with a normal one-handed grip. Yeah, I have a, I have a Galaxy S2 and that feels too large to me. Galaxy S2 is a perfect size for my hand. And yeah. if you go any bigger, and it's just pushing it, but if you go any bigger, uh, it's it gets too hard for me to use one-handed, which basically it's out of the running for me. You got to be able to use it with one hand. Yeah, yeah. Like, the the iPhone and then the uh, the other Android phone that I have are the perfect size for for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing about the the um, the Galaxy or the Nexus S is that the one you 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 have the Nexus. Uh, no, I have a I have a Galaxy S two. I don't I don't have a oh. Nexus four. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I've got the uh, nice. Right, I've got the Nexus S. I'm not sure how big that screen is, but it's bigger than the iPhone for sure. Um, but it's not as big as a, a five. I, I'm going to guess it's like a four and a quarter, four and a half inch screen. Mm-hmm. And it's the back is rounded in a way that the, the chin sits in your palm in a way that makes it tough to drop. Where the, the Lumia 920 is just like a, a slab. It's like a... Yeah, like the iPhone. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's um, you know, everything's it's very round and sort of on the slippery side. So it's really... It's really hard to, you, I just couldn't use it as my regular phone, but it's really, yeah. really a nice phone. Uh, anyway, went off on a tangent there, but, but, um, <laughs> but uh, device testing, I guess I, I was going to save this for later in the show, but speaking of all the device testing and responsive web design, I had a, I think a milestone moment with responsive web design the other day that uh, I think is worth mentioning, which is that I you know, started uh, a new project. It's a big um, site redesign for a, a well-known U.S. retailer whose name I cannot mention yet. Yes. Uh, contractually, and in that contract, they it actually calls out you know responsive web design. The whole all the meetings leading up to it, everyone was talking about responsive web design, and it, and so now it's funny because. You know, like Ajax, responsive web design just sort of became a catch-all term for a bunch of techniques or almost like a mindset Yeah, that spawned, you know, new workflows and new approaches and new techniques. And But giving it that name uh, 
allows normal people to talk about it uh, in a way that now has to be reviewed by lawyers, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine. Can you imagine being Ethan Marcotte and being like, you, he made up a term that is now a, like legally binding. Like legally, yeah. It's so cool. I have I have tried that on a few occasions, but I haven't met with nearly as much success. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough. He added a a word to the lexicon. To the dictionary. Yeah. Yeah. So that's very cool. But um, responsive web design has officially hit the big time. And it's nice that these large, you know, it's a big corporation with lots of retail retail outlets. I don't know how many, but, you know, it's a, actually international. And the value, like people are, organizations like that are starting to recognize the value of a one web approach because they've now spent a year or two years maintaining uh, probably definitely one, maybe multiple sites on, at different URLs. Mm-hmm. You know, like an iPad site, a desktop site, a phone site, an iPhone site, you know, a, 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 a basically a, a dumb phone site for phones that don't have JavaScript or, they're, you know, like old Blackberries that have bad screens or whatever. Yeah. And it's crazy. Like maintaining these things is impossible, especially in a company that has a lot of red tape and requires a lot of approvals. You know, if you multiply the number of properties that your users are going to be, um, your guests are going to be uh, accessing you just, you're, you're like exponentially increasing the amount of work that you have to do. And it does, you can't do it. It's not possible. Right. It's, it's, you, things get to never mind the amount of, in addition to the amount of effort that it requires to keep up with everything, things just get too scattered. Yep. You just can't keep it organized. Yeah. Like the IT department, IT, uh, IT departments in large organizations are historically, they're just like crushed all the time. Yeah. You know, backlog always. And so he's like, oh, okay, we're going we're gonna to do a rebrand of something. And then you're like, okay, that's going to touch, you know, a million web pages across 35 sites. You know, it's like, come on, you can't do it. Yeah. So. It's a, it's a, it's a huge waste of resources. Yeah. Right. So it's it's a very reactive approach. Like, okay, we're going to put out this fire. You know, a new phone comes out. Okay, we're going to put out that fire. A new, you know, a, a new fire comes out. Let's put out that fire. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I don't know if you noticed, um, but there was a, um, uh, I'm trying to think who it was, but somebody just released a six-inch tablet. So now every every size <laughs> is covered, like in a smooth continuum from like from you know small touch screen up to large touch screen there's not an there's not an inch in there that we don't have to i i have not noticed yeah this is this is why i'm not a huge advocate of of putting your um responsive design um media query breakpoints at specific screen resolutions yep you can it's yeah like you just you just put them when things start looking weird yeah just let the content tell you where to break yeah, I, I'm a huge, I, I did not, that was something that I realized later. Um, I was like, why am I, and it was out of laziness. I was like, why am I going around? Like, this is supposed to be device independent. Why am I looking up the resolutions of these devices <laughs> to put them in my media queries? Yeah. And, just, just add one when things start looking screwy. Right. Yeah. You just start small and, you know, make your window really narrow and then just 
start making it bigger and it's like, oh, these lines are too long. Add a medium. How big do I have my window? <laughs> Make a medium yeah. gray. So uh, anyway, so responsive web design for the win as always. Yes. Very nice. Yep. All right. So we have a couple of interesting things to talk about, especially interesting to me because I uh, don't know anything about them really, other than what you've told me. So <laughs> looking forward to um, hearing about uh, Varnish next, which is um, something that, so we're starting a new, together starting a new project where we are, uh, one of the, the, the tasks that we have is to provision some AWS uh, EC2 instances. Yes. And, you know, having just gone through that process, you know, you sounds like you've really got it down to a science at this point. And yeah. varnish was one of the things that you installed. So <clears throat> what's varnish? Yeah, that that's a pretty, pretty new one in my, in my tool set. Um, and actually, yes, it's, it's very nice to be working on a project with you again. We haven't done that in a while. Yay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, varnish, varnish is a caching server. That it acts as a as a as a reverse proxy to your web server. So your, your requests come in, and it's goes through Varnish. And if Varnish doesn't have a cache, then it you know the things are retrieved from your web server and and cached into Varnish and served back to the user uh, client, not user. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing that a lot lately. Yeah, me too. And this um, these last few projects have, have taken their toll on my. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we have a new a new uh, niche bingo. Maybe niche drinking game. Word. Anyway. Yeah. But yeah, it's a it's a caching server for for caching um, uh, web pages and your your assets. And um, yeah, I'd been I've been hearing about it for a while, but I'd never really re given it given it much of a look. And I I set it up yesterday. We had a working on a, a couple of other I'd been working on a couple of other um servers that were having some performance issues so I was looking at different caching options for them mm -hmm. and ended up not using varnish because I just I didn't need to after I did some some opcode caching with PHP but um uh yeah I finally spurred me to take a look at varnish and the setup was just just super easy super easy to set up and uh in this particular case I found that the the defaults Work really well. Of course, there's a lot of a lot of things you can configure and, and tweak and adjust to your needs. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, it was the setup was so easy. It was just like you'd you'd be crazy not not to do it. Mm, cool. And I have a million <clears throat> questions you probably don't know the answers to because it's kind of a new thing. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to ask anyway. Okay. <laughs> so we, maybe in a future so episode, the, so make Kelly look like an idiot. Time. The, okay. The, these are the, the if you don't mind. No, go ahead. The so, silly question, I guess. How is this different from regular caching? Like, if we, you know, like regular internet caching, is is this just like a more robust, configurable thing? That, you mean like regular internet caching as in the browser sends cache headers? Yeah, or even, I mean, obviously it's configured differently, but, or, or yeah, let's mean, say CDN, like for example. Caching. Yeah. I don't know. It's like what I, it seems like this is already, it, it seems like something that is, like, what about memcached D, or I don't even know how to say that 
memcached or memcached seems like it's a mm -hmm. similar thing. Um, yeah. But it's usually, people usually talk about that when they're having database problems, not like web server. Yeah, problems. yeah. Memcache is, is more specifically for database caching. Okay. Whereas varnish is you know, everything else. <laughs> so like static stuff. Yeah. Yeah, all of your static stuff. And, and I suppose... I suppose some of your, your dynamic stuff too, provided the content hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you know what I mean? It sounds like caching. Yeah. So uh, I guess it's just some kind of, I mean, to me, it's kind of like, I, I feel like it's the server side version of app cache, where, which I'm super familiar with, where your browser is going to cache stuff, but they're going to, you know, their things are going to expire and go away a lot with regular caching, but with app cache, mm -hmm. You can be really specific about no, this is never going to expire. I want this to be served from the local browser cache. So I have, yeah, well, I have a feeling that's kind of what it is. One of one of the other things I liked about it a lot is that it that it it does work as as that um, you know as a reverse proxy, which you and I had talked about setting up, setting that up before mm -hmm. in um, in Nginx, mm -hmm. actually using using Nginx as a, as the proxy. And so, for instance, you could. Like use it as your your caching layer between like a, a node server running on port three thousand that's accessible on port eighty through via Varnish that, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, that so that so having having the yeah so having having the the ability to set a to set it up as that sort of proxy layer in between there too, just. Caching as caching aside, just having an easily configurable reverse proxy is is handy in its own right. Yeah, that's true. So it's kind of a just the the combination of the two uh, just feels really powerful to me. Mm. Yeah, cool. So you mentioned there um, opcode caching, or is that am I saying that right? That's like a yeah. this is the first time I've even heard that term. So uh, you want to describe what that is a little bit because you had some drastic improvements. Uh, yeah, CPU. yeah, it was <laughs> it was pretty incredible. Um, opcode caching uh, for PHP, what it does, um, of course, you know PHP is an interpreted language. Mm -hmm. Whenever you make a request to the server, the server executes the you know, interprets the PHP file when it's requested and, and serves it back to you. Yep. And the opcode caching, what it does is it caches in memory the compiled. That that compiled interpreted state of the PHP file, mm -hmm. so so the server doesn't have to interpret it every time you access the file. Gotcha. It just it just checks and says, okay, nothing nothing's changed. Just we've got a cached version that's that's already interpreted and mm -hmm. stored in memory. But send that back. Cool. And is that something that you what at what level of the stack do you implement that? Is that something you put in your code or is that an a uh like a server configuration or the web yeah, server? Yeah, it's, no, it's it's a it's a server configuration. There's a few different a few different ones out there for doing it. I used um, APC, mm -hmm. which uh, I think is an acronym for Alternative PHP Cache because I don't think it was the the default for a long time. But I think it's 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 the one now that seems the most the most maintained and the most active. Okay. Cool. And it was, <clears throat> yeah, it was super easy to install. Um, we're using an Ubuntu web stack, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was just a, just as simple as as running apt get install PHP APC and then restarting the web server. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and of course, there's there's all kinds of configuration 
you can do to that as well. But just the basic basic install. That's that's all there is to it. Mm. Yeah, and I don't know if I don't know if you can share that image that you sent me, but I mean, it was like a drastic fall off in CPU usage from you know spiking at a hundred percent to immediately fell off the cliff and you were like down around 20% CPU utilization. Yeah, and, and then it kept getting lower from there. But yeah, we can we can share the file, I think. Uh, I've removed all the identifying stuff from it. So Cool. Yeah, I mean, it's shocking. And, you know, to to just <laughs> for you to say that's like apt get and then restart, it's like, wow. Yeah. That's like, a huge... Like, like a, and and varnish is a little varnish is a little more set up than than that. But between the two of them, like they're both they're both so simple and easy to set up and configure that, like really, there's no reason not to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Well, that, that was my next question. Actually, there must be some cons. So, you know, because for example, the data that you're caching in the PHP example is from a database. So theoretically, you could be sending out old data to your site visitors um i guess theoretically you could i'm not entirely sure how it handles it because i i didn't notice that problem like i would i was making some some updates and bug fixes last night and i would change things in the database and like immediately refresh the page and everything would be current and 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 up to date so i I, i'm not sure how it handles that Hmm. it's it's it seems to be smarter than I am in that regard. So, <laughs> yeah, I can't I mean, just let it do its thing and not worry about it. Yeah, it must be super sophisticated. Of course, you know, I'm sure it's a very complicated piece of software. So, it, uh, it, it'd be interesting to to look into that. It's the same. I did I did uh, look up Varnish a little bit and look into it, and there were a lot of configuration options for um, expiring stuff. Mm-hmm. And and being very surgical about, um, you know, like everything on this path, you know, this like partial path should get expired more, more regularly than other things, or they uh, presumably they could be expired in response to some event that took place. Um, but you know, I, you know, it's that's all your all your realm. Stuff is getting to be the server side stuff is getting to be beyond me. Yeah, I don't know when I turned into like sysadmin type <laughs> stuff. I don't know. I don't know when I sort of fell into that role. But well, you're good at it. That's interesting stuff, and finding, learning, learning new things about it every day. Cool. And just the the more I learn, and the more the more things you could do. I'm like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's getting to the point where um, it's not it's not like premature optimization. I mean, I think all of these things are things that. Uh, were necessary like there was a problem that in the olden days we would have probably thrown more servers at and like a load balancer or you know faster cpu or something and you know instead we're getting solved with software instead of more hardware (sighs) hang on a second my doorbell is ringing repeatedly (laughs) okay door-to-door salesman Oh, it's like in it's like nine degrees there. If that, yeah. <laughs> oh, what do you know? Anyway, like, no, go home and have some hot chocolate. <laughs> I was hoping it was going to be a guy holding a snow shovel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, if it was someone offering to shovel your driveway, that would be exactly. It'd be different. Door to door, door to door salesman in this weather—that's ridiculous. Yeah. 
so anyway so yeah the, the i guess we i guess we were kind of at a stopping point anyway with the the uh server side configuration of varnish and opcode yeah 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 fun stuff yeah but definitely better you than me (laughs) (laughs) um okay so um another sort of server side thing but in a very different realm um you mentioned something called sprockets which i have another thing i've never heard of that uh, sounds like it's pretty cool for simplifying the dev workflow on the server side uh, yeah, sprockets, and and in particular with regards to the um, the asset pipeline in Rails three, which uses sprockets. But of course, if you're if you're, you know if you're not using Rails and doing doing other types of Ruby development, you can install the the sprockets gem and get the same sort of very similar functionality. Mm. And but um, and this is this is probably nothing new for anyone who's been doing Rails development for a while. But if you if you haven't been uh, like me, if you hadn't used Rails since uh, 2.1.3 and, and then find yourself going back to it. <laughs> um, there, is, there is now, there is a lot of, of asset management built into the um, Rails framework and it, using Sprockets. And what Sprockets is, uh, it's an asset management uh, library for um, compiling and serving all of your all of your web assets, so you can just you can just write your um, be it CoffeeScript or SAS or less files and um, not have to not have to worry about any sort of manual compiling or concatenation or minification or anything like that. And sprockets uh, in your put sprockets in your app or or use the Rails asset management either one mm-hmm. and it will uh, it will compile and compile and minify and, and serve everything for you either either at runtime or you can pre-compile yeah so this makes coffee script for example way more attractive to me yeah because i i did take your advice and install what's it called code kit mm-hmm. which um which you basically watches folders and will compile stuff like that locally for you um, but there's still something about it that I don't know. There's something about it that um, it's a lot. It's a lot better doing it like that. And uh, Yeoman actually offers a similar kind of functionality at the command line. It's not as um, yeah, not as GUI friendly. But uh, and both of those things make life a lot easier when you're working with like SAS, less or CoffeeScript or something that needs to be precompiled. But um, but this for some for some reason having it on the server like I don't have to worry about it I don't have to configure my dev environment I, I don't have to mess around with it at all I can just you know hit save and I'm done. Yeah yeah I like I have raved about CodeKit for for months and I do think it's a great program and I use it for for everything else that's not a Rails app but uh, doing the doing the Rails app and and not even having to not having to set up the project not having to to touch any of the code or manually go in and compile something because oh, a file got skipped or just you know just just write the code in the folders and in, in the in the you know put it in the proper folders and and it you know, it's just it's there and it's done and it works. Mm-hmm. Does it create? Does it actually create CSS files, for example, the way uh, that CodeKit you- does? Uh, there's a there's a um, a precompile rake task you can run mm-hmm. that that will will do that. 
otherwise it just compiles everything. Um, I'm I'm not entirely certain if it compiles it like at see it behaves it behaves differently depending on um, what sort of what sort of environment you're you're doing it mm-hmm. doing it in. Like for instance, in your in your development environment, uh, it behaves slightly differently than it does in a production environment. Mm-hmm. Um, development uh, if you have, <clears throat> and that's based on your your um, Rails environment variable. Okay. And um, for instance, in development, uh, it doesn't doesn't um, concatenate and minify everything. Like you just put in your 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 style sheet helper tag in your view, and and then you you run your app, and like you if you view the source, it will link to like say oh. maybe maybe six or seven different JavaScript files that that you're using. Right. But uh, and then in production that all just magically becomes one one file that's that's concatenated and minified and awesome. and just the just the one link to it in the header without it, having to change anything. Yeah, that's and that was my next question. I was gonna I was gonna ask, well what do you what URL do you link to for your style sheet? Is it like dot less or is it dot CSS? But it's Rails and you're not you're not actually putting that there, you're putting a tag. That, yeah, uh, you're just putting a, a style. Sh- you just you just put use the the Rails view helper and point it to the um the main application mm-hmm. CSS or application JavaScript file. Mm-hmm. And it it figures everything out. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool, and a really good argument for. I mean, you could do this with any kind of templating language, but it sounds so baked in. You know, to be able to switch from like like dev to production and get and not have to go and like update your your tags you know because you're naturally yeah. during development you're going to want to have all this if you have like a lot of css files you're going to want to keep them separate just to so your head doesn't explode <laughs> yeah. right but so uh, so when, you, when you're asleep and need to work on your project you can <laughs> <laughs> exactly it's tough to 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 browse through thousands of lines of css yeah in your sleep much yeah. easier when there's just a few hundred. So um, I am, I am getting more. I I keep on saying I, f- I probably said this every other episode. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, less and CoffeeScript. I'm gonna take the plunge with those and Rails too and all this stuff. And then every time I have a project, it's like I'm just gonna code it by hand. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it would. Because the thing is, like all the coding that I'm doing is either super um compartmentalized to like like it'll be a specific little module of a huge website where i have no Mm -hmm. control over what the build process yeah none of that yeah or it's like um basically a a small kind you know it's a small code base yeah Yeah, like a weekend project right yeah so it's like all the big projects are I, I would never end up anywhere near on all the big projects I'm, I'm working on. I'm just doing like just the JavaScript and yeah. in, in some cases, just the JavaScript for a specific thing. Yeah. So, you know, and I'm fairly anti, you know, yeah. Like you're, you're not managing the entire project to have that sort of control over the, 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 the process. Yeah. This is all decisions that have been made yeah. before I even showed up. So, so it's interesting, but I am playing with it more and more because it's, uh, the, for example, with CoffeeScript, the thing I love about CoffeeScript is that, uh, conceptually, is that it 
you're basically linting your stuff in real time. Yeah. So it's not gonna, you know, you don't have to. I mean, I think I write pretty, pretty uh, lint safe JavaScript as it is. I'm like a heavy semicolon, semicolon user, and et cetera, et cetera. But it would be nice to not even have to worry about it and just have it, you know, and, and it's a pretty nice syntax. I don't know. Take another look at it. Yeah, it's, I've, I've dabbled in it and I, I like it. I just haven't, I guess I, I haven't sort of made the leap yet because of just the, the, the amount of the very admittedly very minimal amount of effort involved to, to learn what I'm doing. Yeah, I guess I'm too busy figuring out how to cache things on the server. All right. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's only so much time. Yeah. Speaking of, it's on a similar topic, not too much of a tangent. Um, you know, I, I tweeted, uh, I asked on Twitter the other day, what was the question? The question was, uh, for web developers, if you use an IDE, what IDE do you use? Yes. And I was shocked by the response. I thought that it was going to be all people. I, I thought like Sublime Text Two and TextMate were basically going to be yes. the answer. Yeah. And um, except for maybe Windows people who maybe use something else. Uh, and I did get I did get a few Sublime Text Twos. Uh, I got I think only one person still using TextMate, and. Multiple people using Vim, which blew my mind. I know a lot, a lot of Rails developers use Vim. That is so shocking to me. I must not. We must be talking about two different things. Like I, I can't imagine working there all the time. Like it's, it's just too much of a learning curve for me. I mean, I don't have a, I don't have a month to be unproductive and learn all of the keyboard bindings. Yeah, and I'm a I'm a huge fan of keyboard shortcuts. I use keyboard shortcuts for everything, but Vim is just it's like it's on a different level. Yeah, it, I feel the exact same way. I'm a huge keyboard shortcut person. If I have to touch the mouse, it's a bad it's a bad thing. But uh, but yeah, it's like a it's like a another level of crazy. Uh, but so so that was really surprising to me, and I have no interest in trying it. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of people do it who do it, and a lot of people who love it. But mm-hmm. you know, n- no thanks. Yep, yep. So that's definitely not in my future. But uh, a, a number of people mentioned something called WebStorm, which I've never heard of. Yeah, I'd never heard of it before. I saw that, and I was like, Yeah, it's from yeah. this company <laughs> called JetBrains, who I have heard of. Yeah. I don't know why I heard of them, but they have a couple of different IDE products. It's probably the, it's probably the same thing. It, it seems like a basically an Eclipse IDE with different sort of customized specifically for different tasks. There's be like interesting. A, be interesting to know what what languages they're primarily using. Well, that that particular the one that these uh, the one that the Twitter people were telling me about was WebStorm, which is specifically for things like uh, JavaScript, CoffeeScript, Less SAS, all this all this sort of new school web development languages, mm-hmm. if you want to call them that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's a support for ECMAScript 6 Harmony or whatever whatever it is. And just just very, very cutting edge support. And they have a video on their site that is like a sped through screencast of somebody like cranking through some development. And it, it 
it's pretty i have to admit it's very impressive it's got he's got like a you know window live refreshing on the side you know browser window live refreshing on the side and multiple selections and unbelievable amount of code completion like xcode style code completion um it really it really was pretty impressive uh i don't know i think it's uh it's not free. I think there's a free trial, but it's not free. Um, but yeah. neither, neither any of the other, you know, like Sublime Text 2 I paid for. I know a lot of people don't, but. But yeah, I, you know, I just switched to Sublime Text 2, so I'm not about to switch again. But if people are looking for an, a more, you know, comprehensive IDE style code solution, you might want to check out. Um, WebStorm. Web yeah, yeah. It, it looks interesting. Uh, I guess I'm kind of old school, and personally, I and maybe I'm maybe I'm shooting myself in, in the foot with this one because it would save me a lot of time. But I personally personally don't like a lot of code completion. Mm-hmm. It's like I, I would rather like I I type at around 120 words a minute. Mm. Yeah, so, you're an amazing like, type. I stuff. just want to type, you know. Right. right. <laughs> Yeah, there's it's it's there's a lot of code completion, but there's also a lot of navigating. It looked like from the video, there's a lot of navigating where you could you can like hit the space bar or something, you know, some keyboard command on a function call and and jump straight to the file where that function call is defined. Yeah. And there's just like a lot of it was just amazing how fast the person was going through the navigating through the files and stuff. Nice. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, it's so definitely definitely worth checking out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, f- I mean, for me, when it comes to code completion, like the the mental mental jump that I have to make between starting to type something and then like stopping that flow of of typing and hitting tab or or an arrow key or whatever is just like for me, it's faster to just finish typing the thing because right. I type so fast. Yep. Yeah, and I I definitely know what you're saying there. I it, it depends on there's certain <laughs> there's certain things that are really hard Objective to type. Objective C. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say Objective C. You would you would not be able to. Do. <laughs> yeah. And but we beat that to death last week. But the the yeah. there's like certain things that I would create keyboard shortcuts for and text me because it was just really hard. Like for some reason when I was doing PHP, my hands found it very difficult to type print underscore R, which I was typing all the time. <laughs> Uh, I don't, use bear dump instead. Um, yeah, it's hard to read though the output mm. of that. It depended on what I was doing. Yeah, Pernar had a more has a nicer format output. Usually, yeah, I'm just you, trying to inspect. If, you, an if array. you don't need to see what type of you know what type of variables you're outputting, yeah, you just need to see the contents. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I don't know why, but Pernar is just really hard for my hands to type, hmm. and uh, and it would drive. It just I would always type it wrong, and it would, then I'd be like, oh, you know. But in general, yeah. I agree with you where the, the, the time that I really like code completion is, um, is when it's, it's more of a snippet, you know, where yeah. I, like a for loop, I don't want to type out a for loop every time. I just want to type for tab and then tab to the parameters. Right. Right. That's where it really feels like, uh, feels like an upgrade. So, and, and CoffeeScript makes it even easier. So maybe I should just skip to CoffeeScript and it wouldn't have to do any of that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So that's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we hope you join us again next week for the Niche Podcast. Bye. Bye.